You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. I pleaded with this mate of mine, name was Lindsay, pleaded with him to let me have this videotape. I said, Lindsay, I'd really love to have it, mate. It would mean a lot. My parents were coming. I was living in Adelaide. My parents were coming, visiting from Melbourne that week. And my dad had said, and he was pretty crook at the time, and I wanted to make sure we made this visit important. He said, hey, tell me about that, that trip you did on the Murray River recently. Every year in my last church, we would take two massive houseboats onto the Murray River. Uh, these are those huge vessels that can take 12 people on, on board. Everybody gets a double bedroom. It's, it's fantastic. And we had a waiting list a mile long. Um, senior minister's position was guaranteed every week, every year. Rather, it was great. But uh, everybody else in the, in the in the queue. But these were mu- and, and look, we'd taken a video of the last trip. It was a very special video, because one of our team, a guy called Tim, was really in the final stages of cancer. He's only thirty-five years of age. He died in the following twelve months. It was just a powerful story. He'd lost his leg through cancer, and he was a courageous young man. And. Uh, my friend Lindsay said, mate, this, this video hasn't been edited. I said, look, mate, yeah, you're talking to Graham Hagen here, Mr. Organiser. I, I will look after it, you know. I'll give it back to you next week. I just want to show my parents a little bit about what the trip was like. He said, okay, well, reluctantly, he gave me the video. And what follows, I still find painful to talk about. <laughs> but what, what, what followed was that he wasn't there the following week and somehow we didn't exchange the video. Meanwhile, we, we, we chose a night when I'd show my parents this video. And so um, I put it into the, into the uh, machine and we pressed play. And I still get a little freaked out when I see this on the television even today. What we saw coming up was tick, 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 tonight on 60 Minutes. I'd recorded over the whole thing and recorded an episode of 60 Minutes. Um, we had kids, little kids in those days, there were videos all over the floor. I'd picked up the wrong one really picked up the wrong one, wiped the whole thing. So I, I, I felt shocking, as you can imagine. I, this was a price. We were, we we're all looking forward to seeing this edited version of this video. So I, it was pre-email day, so I wrote a, a letter. I thought that was how we'll handle it. So I got my secretary to type up a letter. And I sent it to all the 24, 23, not Bev, 22, told her. Um, she, she was shocked. Um, I wrote this letter, and the way I opened it, I must have really gone on strong. I said, look, what you're going to read is going to shock you. It's going to really disappoint you. It possibly may even make you angry. Well, it did the trick. People thought I'd, I was leaving Bev. They thought, <laughs> thought I'd been unfaithful or something. You know? And then they, oh, I just rubbed over a video. Oh, gosh, that's not so bad. So, you know, like if you get in a really... I, see, I, I, I didn't mean it that way, but everyone's kind of relieved. Oh, God, just a video, right. So, like, if you get yourself into a, a situation where you've got to give a mass apology, really come on strong, and it, it'll do the job. It certainly did, but I, I still, you know, that, see that 60 minutes, oof, it happened. Well, guys, the Bible says a lot about forgiveness, the need to forgive, the difficulty in forgiving. Uh, it says a lot about the fact that, you know, this is probably the toughest thing we're called upon to do. But it also says a lot about the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by which we are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. It says a lot about that. There was a bumper sticker around in the 70s. It used to say, Christians are perfect, just forgiven. Forgiveness has always been a centrepiece of the Christian faith, a real feature. Jesus taught us to forgive on many occasions. The most famous, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those 
who sin against us. It's a, it's a command. It's a, it's a challenge. Our forgiveness of others is linked to God's forgiveness of us. But here's a question. Why do we forgive? Why? When you think about it, yeah, that's the theme. Why do Christians? Why do we forgive? Let me put it this way. We don't forgive just because Jesus asked us to. That's the first thing. Yes, he did ask us, but we don't forgive just because he asked us to. We don't forgive because it's the Christian thing to do. That's part of it, but that's not the, that's not the reason. We don't forgive out of fear or intimidation. You know, well, if we don't forgive, we're going to burn in hell or whatever. That's not the motivation either. These are all factors. They all play a part in answering the question, why do we forgive? Because they don't provide the real reason. They don't provide the reason that's born out of a profound theological and, and psychological truth, really, when you think about it. And this is that truth. We forgive because we're designed by God in such a way that we only discover inner peace, emotional fulfilment, spiritual renewal, and everything needed Everything else needed to become a complete person. We only experience those things when we do forgive. That's how we're designed. That's why we forgive. It's not out of compulsion, not out of duty, not reluctantly. I'm a Christian. Now, if you're thinking, if you're tempted to think, yeah, well, that sounds fairly vague, fairly philosophical, uh, but listen, I'm going to need a lot more. I'm going to need a lot more than that before I forgive that dirty, rotten, you know. If that's what you're thinking, just, just reread that again. Okay. Inner peace, emotional fulfillment. We're talking lifelong here. Spiritual renewal. At what price can you afford to forfeit those things? At what price can you afford to let those things go and not be seen as crucial? And what's the alternative? What's the alternative to inner peace? Constant turbulence. People whose lives are constantly bitter and uptight. What's the alternative to emotional fulfilment, emotional immaturity? People just drifting through life and being abused and neglected by all kinds of people because they haven't got emotional stability. Spiritual renewal. You forfeit your ability to be in touch with with God Almighty. Are you ready to pay that sort of price? So that's how crucial forgiveness is for you and and for me. It's all to do with our ability, our willingness to forgive and to move on. Now, somebody says, yeah, but Cram, like it's so hard to forgive, man. It is just so hard. Like like if you knew how I feel about that person who abused me when I was a little child, you know, that, 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 that father, that uncle, that, that family, if you knew how I feel about that. You'd understand. If you knew how I feel about my dad who walked out on our marriage, who walked out on the marriage and left us kids when we were just young, if you knew what that feels like, or my mum who left the marriage, if you, if you could only know what it's like to, to, to have an ex-wife who, who was unfaithful to you or an ex-husband, I mean, you, know, you just don't get over that. If you knew how it feels to have a financial advisor who ripped you off and, and, and just left you penniless and you're still recovering, it's just a... A mess, just destroyed your whole financial future. If you knew what it's like, Grant, to be in a work situation where a colleague has really undermined you and there's very little chance of you getting any further promotion because of what's been said about you and it's all incorrect. 
so we've all got these issues in which we struggle for, to, to, to forgive. And adding to the difficulties, there are certain myths associated with forgiveness. Certain myths that, that really serve as a, a way of holding us back and, and inhibiting us in our ability to forgive. So tonight we're going to do a bit of myth busting. I mean, what's that show? Myth busters. I've seen the previews. I don't, I don't know if I've ever watched this, an episode, but we're going to do a bit of myth busting tonight. Myth number one. Forgiving means you were never really hurt in the first place. No, it doesn't mean that. It is vital. It is crucial. We acknowledge the level of our hurt and disappointment, the level of our pain. Only someone who has been offended can forgive. I mean, we excuse accidents. We can overlook a misunderstanding. But we can only forgive when someone has deliberately and intentionally hurt us. Myth number two. Forgiving means you are excusing the hurtful act. Well, maybe it wasn't that serious after all. No. In forgiving, we're seeking to redeem the hurt. We're seeking to recover from it. We're not trying to excuse it at all. Here's number three. Before forgiving, you must understand why the person hurts you. Uh, maybe if I can kind of get into their mind, and that might help. Look, some people believe if they can understand more, that might accelerate the level of forgiveness. And look, it, it, it can help. You know, why did this person do this? Why are they acting like that? That, that can be a, a helpful exercise. But many of the hurts that you and I face defy explanation. There's no plausible reason. People just act very strangely. They, they act very cruelly. There's no plausible explanation for every hurt that you and I Face. I mean, in an extreme case, and we shouldn't argue from extremes, but like, are you feeling as I am for the parents of Daniel Morecambe at the moment? You know, sitting courageously in a courthouse up in Brisbane every day and hearing the testimony, not, not, from, the, not from the accused, but from people who are reporting on what the accused has said, of the moments in that young boy's life after he was abducted, you know, and... He refused my approach and then I panicked and found my hands around his neck. And I mean, Can you imagine hearing that about your 12-year-old boy? I mean, that just defies explanation. And, and to try to understand that is not going to get you very far. But there's still a need to forgive, even in that, cru- in that extreme situation. Here's myth number four. You must feel forgiving before you can forgive. You know, come back from a retreat and you're very spiritual and ah, I'm just going to forgive everybody. You know? That sort of feeling can elude us. It's not necessary to feel forgiving, to be in a forgiving mood. Somebody says, you mean I can forgive if I'm still angry? Yes. You mean I can forgive if I've still got a, a level of resentment in my heart? Yes. You mean it, I don't have to cleanse myself of all the... Negative feelings before I can forgive? Yes. In the explanation of forgiveness that I'm about to give you, that is possible. You see, only through forgiveness will these feelings, resentment, bitterness, anger, only then will they have any chance at all of subsiding once the decision to forgive is made. When Jesus cleansed the temple, a famous incident just in the week leading up to his death, the Bible says he was pretty upset. He didn't just walk in and say, hey, guys, look, you know what? <laughs> Can we kind of get these tables out of the way? It's kind of 
bugging me a little bit. This is not how my father's house was meant to be, and I'd really appreciate it if you just kind of move things out and go off there and do something else. No, no, no. The Bible says he fashioned a whip. He was angry. He moved into those guys and he drove them out. Was he feeling angry? I, I hope so. That's the only way he could explain action like that. But you've got to balance that up with the fact that Jesus never sinned. So he was angry, but he didn't sin. And that's a fulfillment of what Paul says in Ephesians 4.26. Be angry, but do not sin. Sin, or rather anger is an emotion which it's possible to experience without sinning if the focus is on what's happening rather than on the people who are doing what's happening. Now, Jesus Christ never sinned. You and I don't have that ability, <laughs> this side of heaven. We generally, our anger is associated with sin. But in the case of Jesus, he's a living proof that you can be angry without sinning. Here's myth number five. Forgiving means we let the other person off the hook. I guess linked to number two, but it's, it's, slightly, it's slightly different. With this myth, people are inclined to say, if I forgive, then he or she may avoid the consequences of their action. And the whole thing just sort of settles down and, oh, well, there's forgiveness. And, you know, that's not necessarily the case. People are still responsible. People have to face whatever it is that is coming their way because of their actions. Let me tell you about one of the most, um, the most publicised acts of forgiveness in my lifetime. It happened in December 1983, before a large percentage of you were even born. And it's one of the most publicised acts of forgiveness. The Pope of the day was Pope John Paul II, a much-loved Pope, died a number of years ago. And in December 1983, he visited the Rabibia prison in Rome to go and see a Turkish man by the name of Mehmet Ali Ajkar, a, Turkey, a Turkish terrorist, who two years before had raised a pistol to the Pope in St. Peter's Square, fired a gun and wounded the Pope in the chest. Very seriously. The most serious attempt on a Pope in my lifetime and in the last century. And it took the Pope many, many, many months to recover. On this particular day, he tried to do it subtly and tried to do it without publicity, but somebody got wind of it and there was some, there was some vision, some footage, and I'm, as I recall, a still photograph of him going deep into that prison, going to the cell of Mehmet Ali Ajkar and extending forgiveness to that man. Now, I mean, the guy, the guy still was there in prison and was there for many more years. Our forgiveness of someone is, our forgiveness in no way absolves them from any legal or social or even friendship price that they may have to pay. And we're going to unpack that a little bit further down the, down the track. Here's myth number six, and it's probably the most relevant. Forgiving also means forgetting. Guys, herein lies the main blockage for many people when it comes to forgiveness. You know, I can't forgive because I can never forget. I can't forgive because I will never forget. Fortunately, that is not a prerequisite for, for forgiveness. We have a computer inside these heads of ours that's more amazing than any Apple Mac or any PC. These computers, while we sort of maintain reasonable health, are designed to remember. We can pull memories from our past way, way, way back. We've got a facility, a capacity, which is designed to help us remember. 
So it's, it's a myth to say, before you can forgive, you have to forget. Let me take you back in time to another incident. And if we had more time, we'd probably use examples that are less dramatic than these. But I want to really make a point tonight about the power of forgiveness. Back to the 28th of April, 1996. And a young lady called Nanette Mikak, M-I-K-A-C, with her two little daughters, Alana and Madeline, they are running terrified, terrified from a scene in Port Arthur where there's been shooting happening for about half an hour and the reports of people dying are just shocking. And so for whatever reason, she's on the road. She's running away with her children, hoping to get to a safer place. This is the day of the Port Arthur Massacre. And uh, as the story goes, because there were witnesses in other parts of this particular area of the countryside, she turned at one point about 600 metres down the road and she turned to see a Volvo coming toward her. And she must have thought, well, I'm going to hail this car down because that'll take me even further to safety with my girls. She hailed that car down. What she didn't realise is that the man driving that Volvo was Martin Bryant. Uh, He was the man responsible for already 20 of the 35 people who would be killed that afternoon and within seconds of the car pulling up she and her eldest daughter were dead and the the tragic thing is you read the transcripts and it just breaks your heart he tracked the other little girl in into the bush and managed to track her down and and shot her at point blank range as well now why I'm mentioning this is because like at the human level okay I'm a parent I'm a grandparent the human level you just wonder well like (laughs) how are you going to forgive that How are you going to forgive that? Well, uh, we need to mention a guy called Keith Moulton, M-O-U-L-T-O-N. Keith Moulton, father of Nanette Mikak. And as you listen to Keith Moulton's story, and I've read it many, many times, and I've heard him on the radio on the ABC, a marvellous man, Christian man. And he was on the scene within a few hours of this massacre because he lived down there as well. And... uh, He said his recovery started on day two after the massacre because he pulled out some notes on a grief course he'd done just two weeks before. And he pulled the notes out and he started to read them. He started to realise that this was the journey he was going to be called upon to, to take. As a Christian, he went for years, years, just filled with bitterness and anger. And you can say, I understand that. You can really understand that. But he then reached a point where he realised that this was severely damaging his relationship with Christ. And I won't go into all the details except that in an ABC radio interview, some years after, I think it was maybe about five years, it's now what, 1996, 2006, coming up to 20 years in a couple of years' time. He said, I got to a point where prayerfully I could actually imagine me going up to a doorway and, and meeting Martin Bryant and and actually stating, I forgive you. And he said, when I could visualise myself doing that, a whole weight just seemed to fall off my shoulders. And he's gone on to help people all over Australia in grief recovery and in this area of forgiveness and, and knowing what that feels like and, and the, the necessity of forgiveness. Um, Guys, this brings us to the point which is at the heart of all of this. Let's tie this up. Let's, Let's bring this down to earth. 
See, the point is Keith Moulton will never forget. He will never forget, but he has been able to forgive. Let's tie this up and get to the bottom line. Here it is, forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. And it's certainly not reluctant compliance with a command. At the deepest level, forgiveness is a decision. At the deepest level, forgiveness, it's not an emotion, not a feeling. That's part of it. At the deepest level, forgiveness is a decision. And guys, like all tough decisions, we need help. We need help to make tough decisions. Christians draw on the power and the strength of Almighty God. And our motivation for forgiving is born out of the forgiveness that we have received. That's it. Our motivation for forgiving forgiving is born out of the, the forgiveness and the grace we have received and we do receive on a daily basis. You see, we're designed to forgive. We're meant to forgive. If not, we're the ones who suffer. Some of you know my definition of, of, uh, of bitterness and resentment. It's where we, we, we drink the poison. We drink the poison expecting the other person to die. That's probably the most graphic way I can explain resentment and bitterness and an unforgiving spirit. We're drinking the poison, hoping they'll die, but we're dying instead. That's just how crucial this is. An up-to-date example, something that I saw this week on the news. I don't know if Reva Steenkamp's mother is a Christian, but when she spoke this week on television, I just got a sense that she was drawing on a source of strength that was just deeper than purely surface. And I'd love to find out. I'd try to check. But I wouldn't be surprised. Many many South Africans have a deep faith. It's a very strong Christian country. and she's the mother of the, of the uh, woman who was killed in the most publicised trial we've got happening in the world right now, um, Oscar Pistorius. And she, she said this on this interview. I, I downloaded this. Look at this. She said, and this, this, can you imagine how raw this is for her? And she's in the courtroom. Well, she was for a while. She, she went for one day hoping to engage him. She couldn't. She's gone back home. She said, it's actually important to forgive him for me. Huh? See, there's the there's six myths. It's actually important for, to forgive him for me because I don't want to live with bitterness in my life. It would become my whole being. I don't want that. He made a mistake. Get this. An enormous mistake. And I've lost the most precious thing in my life, my beautiful daughter. But still I can forgive. And she states it again. I can forgive. And you just sense the authenticity with which she was saying that and the depth of, of strength she was drawing on. It was very, very inspiring to me. See, guys, if we, if we don't forgive, then we're like the guy in the parable. Having received so much forgiveness and we go out and get the guy who owes us just a few, a few cents. I know some of the hurts, even among this group, are very deep. I know some of you could identify with some of the things I mentioned earlier and and a whole lot more and in some cases a lot worse. Tonight in our ministry time, you could end up praying one of the most important prayers you've ever prayed. Our prayer team could facilitate tonight you indicating the person you need to forgive. And either you pray it or, or we'll pray it on your behalf. It could mean for you an incredible release like you've never had before because you're designed to forgive. It is hard. But in light of all that we've received from Jesus Christ, it's, 
it makes sense. It's our natural response to all that he's done for us. The other prayer you could pray, which will be the most important prayer in your life, is to pray for God's forgiveness through Jesus. To actually receive him tonight as your Lord and Saviour. To pray, Jesus Christ, I accept your forgiveness. Because that's what we do with forgiveness. We don't earn it. We don't claim it in that sort of sense of it being a right. We just receive it with humility and with, with thankfulness. So those two prayers, which one would apply best to you tonight? It might be a prayer from the depths of your heart. I want to forgive X. I've been carrying it for a long time. It's killing me. And I want to begin the process. And you may not feel any different straight off. But once you've made that commitment, I know I've had hurts in my own life. Ministry is the sort of work that you're in the firing line for a lot of criticism over the years, a lot of misunderstanding, things that have hurt my family. And I know the journey of maintaining bitterness and what that feels like. And I know the journey of liberation where you draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going to pay for this any longer. That's forgiven. I won't forget, but that's forgiven. I want to move on. I want to move on to the freedom Christ gives me. So why do Christians forgive? Because we're designed to forgive. We need to forgive. It's the only way to health and wholeness and happiness in Jesus. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?